Hey guys, welcome to the podcast. This pod will be covering UFC 247, Jones versus Reyes, that is happening in the Toyota Center in Houston, Texas. I have brought along with me Joseph Montgomery, who has been on the pod before, and he will be using his expertise he has on some of the fighters to discuss this card, and we may not really doing a full recap, but we'll be covering some of UFC 246 as well, which was Cerrone versus McGregor and uh, some of the events that transpired after that event. I hope you guys enjoy the pod. But first, I would like to say, check out Trove of Creations. Trove of Creations is a shop that one of my battle buddies from basic training, Joshua Stone, and his wife, have came up with with different essential oil products in regards to your beard, um, your, just natural skin care, um, as well as things for your pets as well. Um, so go check them out. Like I said, better and own business. Um, you can just go ahead and Google Trove of Creations or look for them on Etsy. www, if I can speak, dot Etsy dot com slash trove of creations they also have a page on facebook so check them out you'll like what you get from them and enjoy the pod to the podcast like i said earlier my name is lavelle miller you already know me welcome to another episode of the brave way podcast i brought with me joseph montgomery who's been on the pod before and we are just going to discuss ufc 247 jones versus reyes and before we get into that uh, when we talked a little bit earlier today you had some feelings about the ufc 246 card mcgregor versus Cerrone. and is there any takeaways that you wanted to uh, recap on that before we get to the card tomorrow um, well, I just wanted to say that a lot of people are thinking that um, Cerrone was like a gun fighter when he fought McGregor or something. I don't think he was done at all. I think he was a very, I think he's still a very high level fighter. It's just stylistically, he did play into Connor's favor. So, no, so like that's where like the like the nonsense why he threw the fight. You know, Cerrone would never do the fight. Him, Nick Diaz, all them people, especially them guys, they would. That'd be the last thing they'll do. Maybe some of the new fighters, I don't know, but like he would never throw the fight. So Connor did just look that good. I would say, yeah, I don't think that Cerrone stylistically, uh, like you mentioned, it was a it was a teed up fight for Connor though. I believe contest. They both actually do fade uh, around the same time frame, so that would have been a very interesting contest to see. See, but 
also believe it gives him a lot of confidence for him to go in and just uh, fight him over the Hey, Lavelle, you kind of like – um, I, you kind of like faded out. I can't – I can barely hear you. All right, hold on. Let me move this up here. Uh, so, but is it better now? Oh, it's much better now. All right, so uh, – but I believe that uh, a lot of people believe Habib uh, could be beaten by Connor because of the showing that he put on. And I don't think that was necessarily true. You, you weren't showing enough within that 40 seconds. It was Connor doing what I thought he would do against a slow starter in Cowboy. Uh, but it'll be interesting to see what happens these next couple of weeks, especially since we now know that Jorge Masvidal will be fighting Kamara Usman on an international fight week. Uh, so I think depending on how this fight goes in April, of course, we're foreshadowing, skipping this card is coming up here, but how the fight goes in April between Habib and Tony depends on if Connor fights on International Fight Week to me. Uh, since they pulled Jorge from him and Kamaru, that's the only logical thing unless he is given Justin Gaethje in March like Connor requested. But a lot of people don't know this is that Justin Gaethje is actually on the last fight of his UFC contract. So you don't want Justin to fight Connor and Justin beat Connor convincingly and then him jump ship to Bellator and then Bellator now gets that boost. Uh, the UFC is very notorious for letting fighters go either before they fight that last deal or on a loss and go to a promotion because at least they could say they lost on the way out. Um, but anyway, so switching gears and focusing on the event at hand that we have this Saturday, John Jones versus Dominic Reyes. I'll start with you. How do you see this fight happening? Um, ending? I, ending? I just probably like grind and pound from Jones to Reyes, you know? Like, I get it. Like, let's say when, when Dominic Reyes was like, the only reason um, Vulcan took me down, you know, because I wasn't expecting it. Okay, the first takedown, I get that, but after getting back up, you should know, okay, this guy's going to be taking me down now. But you still kept getting taken down. You know what I mean? So I was just like, and I wasn't surprised that he stuffed Chris Wyman's takedown. He's much bigger than him. And Chris Wyman is pretty much done at this point. You can still beat guys, yeah, high level, but not upcoming guys that are bigger. But, um, yeah, so I feel like – and John Jones, he was taking down Olympic Daniel Cormier and stuff more than Daniel Cormier took him down. So I'm thinking it's just a bad matchup for Dominic because I just don't feel like at this stage, Reyes doesn't have enough tools to – I mean, anybody could knock – anybody out right but I don't feel like he has enough tools to beat John Jones other than just being a heavy-handed skilled puncher with like a left kick and stuff that was the same thing with like a like Tiago Santos and like kicks good punches but you see how that went for John well I'll tell you this I actually thought that uh Santos got the job done 
and should have beat him. Now, the thing that makes these styles interesting and the thing that John had the advantage of for so many years, people look at his overall skill set. Yes, he was more skilled in some capacities than a lot of these people he was fighting. His first couple of title fences were against, you know, you hate to say it, but it was the truth. He had a bunch of old guys on their way out, you know. Shogun, they say, yeah, he had some type of career emergence, but he also sat out for a little bit in that time frame. And yes, we past accolades don't really necessarily matter to me because it's recent. It's recent things you have to focus on. If you're a champion in 05 and then, you know, they bring it up in 2015. Yes, at that time, you're the best of those guys, but that's a 10 years difference, right? And that's just using mm-hmm. that for an example. But, you know, Lyoto Machida is old, was older. You know, he was gone now to a different organization in Bellator. Uh, Rampage, you know, he's on his way out. Chell, you know, the, the first, but like, you know, when he got tested, yeah, he beat, you know, Gustafson, you know, partying and, and all that other stuff. You know, Gustin didn't have it, and he got it done. Same thing what he did when he beat Cormier. Those are ones that I'd look at as more prominent wins, but then you also have the allegations behind John and being on the sauce and all that other stuff. But if if I can get back to what the point I'm looking at is, even though he was able to beat Gustin the second time by taking him down and then just grinding and pounding him out, Gustin didn't have no real answer for it. I don't I think John sensed in that fight that Gustafson was I mean he did he was injured, but he wasn't the same Gustafson as he was when they fought the first time. And I think he, you know, he knew that and he wanted to go ahead after a first couple shots, like, okay, I can end this fight at will. But when it looks at the Anthony Smiths and the Tiago Santos and now um shift into uh, Dominic Reyes, all of these fighters are probably like they're either the same height as John or a little under it, but they're also bigger. As in, Gustafson and John are like the same type of body style where they're both tall, but they're kind of lanky, right? And even though these other guys would kind of be considered lanky, they're a little bit thicker. So it makes it Interesting when it, you have to deal with their power and their speed. It's something that John isn't used to. It's kind of the reason why I don't think he's going to heavyweight um, just yet because a lot of the skills he thinks he has or an advantage over, he does not have on these other guys, especially when it comes to power. Um, he, won't, he, he won't have that. So what will be interesting is is – because like you said, Reyes doesn't really necessarily have anything. And then like being excused that like you got taken out by uh, Ostamir and you weren't expecting it. That has like preparation for the fight. I understand you're prepping certain things, but you have to be willing to expect other things to happen. You know, you expected him to come out and rush you and throw bombs and that didn't happen. And then he put on his wrestling shoes. And like you said, after the first takedown, you may not think that he's going to do that, but the fact that you also were probably gifted that win, because I think Ostermere beat him, is, you know, you showed you had holes in your takedown defense. 
Now, mind you, when you fought Weidman, you were fighting a smaller guy, not because he cut down to 185, but because he didn't put the size on that he should to fight at 205. He just kind of was like, it is what it is. Like, I mean, Luke put on the right weight, but he ended up being too slow and sluggish. So that's not necessarily the right, you know, you have to figure out what you have to do. But Weidman isn't really known for his hands. He may have some KOs, but he's not necessarily known for his hands. So he already knew going into that fight after the first minute or two, Weidman is going to look to shoot because he's not going to want to stay in a trade. So that kind of set the whole thing up on why uh, Reyes was able to get the win. This would just be interesting because if if Santos didn't have, and I know I'm doing a long conversation, let's get back into it, but if Santos didn't have the issues with his knees and he, he took around from John with two blown legs, I think that Reyes – if Reyes had the striking, which is he doesn't, if Reyes had the striking of Santos, this contest would be a lot more interesting uh, than what it actually is because it'll be, you know, can, can Reyes put the pressure on him and can he give John something that he hasn't really seen because the takedown, I don't think he'll take John down. Um the hands will be interesting, but it's like, it'll be who controls the kickboxing range. Cause they're both tall, long guys. So, uh, but, but I do think that, uh, John will get it done. Uh, and it'll probably be in the championship rounds, but do you have anything else you want to add on to this before we move to the next fight? Yes. Um, the thing about the striking is that seeing him against another big, tall, long guy wonders, like, you know how his striking defense is, is a lot like, like Habib's. You know, they have their lead hand or something extended, and then their other arm is, like, just blocking, like, one side of their face or something, and they're just moving back, and then after the coast is clear, it gets back to where it's striking. Um um, I think Dominic Reyes might time a good punch there. I'm not sure if he'll ever, if he even lands a really good punch, if he'll knock John out because John's took so little damage throughout his career. Uh, it seems like he would really have to get damaged up for him to start having a, a questionable chin. But um, that's just the only hole in his striking defense, I can point out, that... um. He's just—I don't know. It's just for somebody that can actually have like the same like length as him, like Johnny Walker. He's like he's only like an inch and a half shorter than him, and that's like the closest to like if they ever fight, John ever fight like reach wise his opponent. So if he could, somebody could time that right, he um he could probably catch John. Well, see, I don't think that. Well, John has taken a lot of damage over his career because if you actually look at it, um, he's been in a lot more. Like at the beginning of his career, he had a lot of stoppage wins, and then all of a sudden he went to 
decisions. And then now he went, to, then he went back to finishes and then he went back to, to finishes again. So he's been in fights and he's taken shots. Uh, but I, if I, if I'm correct, he hasn't, he's never been dropped in a fight. I mean, he's been rocked a few times, but he's never been dropped. Um, you know, and in danger of somebody stopping a fight with him on strikes. I mean, it's amazing he didn't tap out uh, to that arm bar that Vitor Belfort had him in, but he has not been he's not been in a situation to where I would think that it looked like he was probably losing. Uh, DC kind of arguably, in my opinion, but not necessarily uh, too much that I believe he probably did get it done. But so I know you stated it earlier, but just going ahead and recap. And you believe that John Jones wins this with a ground and pound. What round do you, you give him? Um, the same as you, um, probably like the championship rounds. So I feel like he's, um, you know, um, Donnie Grace likes to point out like how great of an athlete himself is and stuff. And I get that, but it's, different from like he keeps talking about football I'm like they say football man and it's like you're fighting somebody that's arguably probably more athletic than you and only two years older so it's not like he's old compared to you maybe just like less fight damage or something but that's probably all i could think of and um so yeah probably like the fourth or fifth round probably just take him probably like then definitely his takedown defense will be like probably gone and then John just take him down. Like the same thing he did with Gus. I feel like something like that will happen. Um, but like, yeah, yeah. But with kicks, because I didn't think Gus threw too many kicks. I could be wrong. But um, I just feel like John takes him out like he took out Gus in the second fight, but just later in the rounds. Yeah, he uh, – I mean, like I said, he, he, he brings up football – but the issue is why he didn't go is because they thought he was, you know, he was a lot slower and he thought he should have been in the NFL, but he probably should have switched his position if he thought he was going to actually be instead of safety to linebacker or something because he was still a bigger guy. But either way, if we want to shift gears and cover this, the co-main event, uh, Valentina Shevchenko is fighting Caitlin Chukagian and Valentina has been on a roll since she's dropped down to flyweight. Caitlin as well. Uh, how do you think this fight's going to go? Dominance. This, this dom. I don't think there's anybody, somebody that I think the UFC would have to bring somebody in from another um, um, place that's as skilled or more skilled than Valentina or somebody really good from like highweight class drops down or something. But I don't think there's anybody in the women's flight division that could touch Valtina, at least at the moment. I don't think there's anybody that could touch her. I'm not saying she's completely invulnerable, but she's just made such dominant, quick work over so many people, knocking out Jessica out of a head kick, like, flat. I never see women get flatlined like that, only, like, every so often, like, when Jessica and Josh fought, um... I forgot her name. Uh, she she uh, lost. She her fought uh, Carolina Colake, which was she hit her with that uh, right or left hand? I can't even remember, but she hit her with a massive hook. But yes, keep going. Yeah, 
Like, I don't see, like, those are every so often. And one of those knockout artists is Valtina. I feel like she's skill level, fast, she's strong. Um, I feel like she's way stronger than Caitlyn. I feel like she's way faster than Caitlyn. And I feel like she has much more skill. She has much more, like, just technique. And, like, I feel like she would be hitting Caitlyn with a lot of leg kicks. Um, And Caitlyn, she might, like, blitz in or whatever. I don't know. But Caitlyn might blitz in. And I feel like this this complete dominance from Valentina. I'm not saying anybody is untouchable, but they could be very close to it. What makes this kind of interesting, too, as you bring that up, is Kaitlyn Kuchegian actually lost to Jessica I before uh, Jessica ended up getting that title shot. So this is something that Kaitlyn could have actually had a, you know, last year if she was able to get the job done. It was a split decision loss, but that loss set her back, and then she had to fight Joanne Calderwood and Jennifer Maya. But to bring it back, but then she got two decisions. Something else that isn't in her favor, as you said, when you bring up Valentina's stopping power, um, not only with the hands, she also has submissions. She, she has more subs than she does uh, knockouts, which is, once again, you bring up a lot of times in the women's division, you don't get a lot of knockouts. Uh, it's more decisions or submissions. But Caitlin only has three finishes. She has two knockouts and one sub. And if I want to go back here, her last finish was in 2016 um, against somebody from who knows what CFFC. And uh, that's one of those local promotions over there in the Northeast. So, you know, she has, if, if you want to look at this too, Liz Carmouche, who recently just fought Valentina Shevchenko. She lost to her. And that was a split decision loss, but it's split decision, split decision, you know, and Jessica I. So the last two comp, the last two fighters that Valentina has fought, Caitlin has lost to. So, you know, if you want to circle back and, and bring up what you say, like, I think they're going to have to bring somebody outside of the UFC to beat her. I don't think you have anybody. I think she's going to ride this wave until she retires. Mainly because, excuse me, mainly because she has the first time she fought at flyweight or the last time she fought at flyweight before she went on the title run. She, it was, in 2006. So, 2006, she fought at flyweight. Mind you, she had a kickboxing career during that time frame where she fought uh, uh, JJ multiple times, and we really don't want to dig into all that. But she was doing all that before she returned back to MMA. But when she returned back to MMA, she fought at bantamweight. So, she fought bigger girls for a long time and then she uh, you know and actually bring this up she did lose a Liz Carmouche the first time they fought but it was a doctor stoppage so those are things are always iffy to me but 
you know, she returned to Bantamweight to fight bigger girls up until she returned to Flyweight. And then now it doesn't look like she's going to have much competition because, like, she just wrestled Liz Carmouche to the ground. And, like I said, she didn't outstruck. Uh, well, she didn't really outstruck. She just put Jessica I to sleep, which is she could have finished her in the first if the ref had mercy on her. You know, then she put the hands on Joanna before that. So, you know, and then before that, when she fought at flyweight the first time against uh, Priscilla Cachoeira, which is, I don't even know if she still fights in the UFC now. She beat the brakes off of her when the most significant strikes that was ever landed in a fight happened to her. So, you know, and actually, yeah, she still is in the UFC, but it's probably not for long because her last fight was in May and she lost all her fights. So anyway, um, yeah, I think this fight between Valentina and Caitlin, and you don't want to sit there and discredit these women that she's fighting against. It's just, it just is what it is. And I think uh, Valentina will, she'll figure it out early. Am I going to just strike with her or do I need to take her down? And then after she figures that out, that's how the fight will go until um, it either ends the final bell, either she gets subbed or she gets uh, knocked out. I don't think it'll be close. You can't have, you're not going to have a split decision win against Valentina Shevchenko. She has so many tricks of the trade where she can figure out where she can take you at to dominate the fight. And that's what she does till the fight is over. So yeah, I have Valentina based off of whatever she has to, whatever she figures out within the first round. Um, not saying that she may get a stoppage in the first round, but after she figures out what she needs to do, um, that'll end up being the remaining course of the fight um, until it's over. And what about you? How do you see it going? Um, You're right. Uh, it depends on if he tries to shock up her or, so, or like take her down. Either way, I feel like it could be a little bit of both. It could be some grappling in there and striking, but I just see just this Valentina either, yeah, either knocking her out, beat, beating her, breaks off her like a unanimous decision, or submitting her. Um, it could be either of those, but um, I have a question for you. Yeah, go ahead. Um, if they decide to do that fight one more time, between Amanda Nunes and Valentina Shevchenko at bantamweight, who do you see winning? I think Valentina beat her the second time that they fought, and I would believe that she would beat her if they fought again. Yeah, I and believe that. Now, mind you, it may be a close fight. The thing that the thing that makes it interesting is. When we focus on Amanda Nunes' power and we know what's there, when she fought the smaller Valentina, Valentina can roll and move with the punch as well, and she's not afraid to grapple with her. So if you look at, like, a lot of people are just, like, on the Amanda Nunes train, and uh, what a lot of people don't know is it, when you're not when you're not scared to uh, fight Amanda. It's not saying that she fights different, but she's, it's a, it's a better fight for the other people involved. When she fights these other 
women who end up being scared of her power. You know, I think like the I think the fight with uh, Cyborg went a certain way. Cyborg got hit and wanted to exchange and thought she was just going to be able to bully Amanda. And she found out that it didn't work very well for her. But like a lot of these other women that she's fought, once they get hit one or two times, like they get scared. Like when she retired, Misha Tate, Misha Tate said the hardest she's ever been punched was by Amanda Nunez. And that sounds crazy in a way. Basically, basing it off of where she's trained at, who she's trained with. Now, mind you, I understand guys scale it down some, but that was crazy to hear. That was the hardest she's ever been punched. And she was saying man or woman. Um, and it changed her whole style of fighting. Uh, but, uh, you know, she caught Holly. I think she caught Holly home. She did a great job. I think Jermaine Aran was game when she was setting up to get ready to fight her too. But it ended up not working out for her or Jermaine as well. Uh, but anyway, to get back to her, I think that would have been a good fight is to see. Uh, first of all, her fight Cyborg again will be very interesting. But I know you asked about Valentina, but I think Cyborg fighting her Amanda again will be interesting to see how that happens. And if Kat Zingano didn't have all her issues with, well, first of all, she's a Bellator now, but layoffs and things like that for personal things, I think that'll be uh, interesting mm-hmm. as well. But um, anyways, to fully go back to answering your question, I think Shevchenko wins if they fight again due to the fact that I think if they did fight again, Shevchenko would know what to expect from the start and would not give up uh, any ground, any pressure. And I think she would fight her kind of like how when she fought um, uh, Juliana Pena. When she fought Juliana Pena, uh, Pena got the takedown or kept going for the takedowns anyway before she got it. A you know, Valentina ended up on her back and they ended up getting the arm bar and getting the finish, and then that's how they ended up fighting, you know, again. But I think it would kind of go like that to where if Valentina felt I needed to get in the pocket and exchange with her and then just deal with her grappling, her judo and jujitsu versus my judo and jujitsu, I don't think she'd be scared because I actually think Valentina is the better striker. I just think it was she was staying behind the punches too much early and letting her feel confident and then trying to pour it on in the later rounds as she was getting tired. If they fought again, she wouldn't just give her those first few rounds. Mm-hmm. I don't think that either. And um, I do feel like if Cyborg didn't have that um, Wanderlei Silva kind of attitude after getting hit by Amanda, I feel like Cyborg could have knocked Amanda out. Um, I mean, anybody, I mean, either Cyborg or Valentina and all the other women, I don't think they really had have that ability to knock out Amanda. Maybe, maybe Holly Holm, but like at this point, I feel like she's probably not gonna be on the top anymore. She's about 38 years old, 37, 38 years old or something. And it's like, you know, she's on the, I mean, it's normal. I mean, she became champion. She she beat Ronda Rousey and stuff. So I was like, okay, 
I mean, that's a that's that's cool. You know, you retired. Uh, not Amanda Nunes retired on the roster, but still, like, she was the first one to like put put the pause on. So I was like, hey, yeah. but still, um, um, I think Chris uh, will just be a dominant as dominant in Bellator as about ten years in the one twenty five division. Yeah. Uh, if we're looking, so looking here. Uh, oh, yes. The only other fight I want to cover on the main card, I mean, we have, uh, just to mention them for name's sake, we have Juan Adams versus Justin Taffa. Um, I do believe this is Justin Taffa's first fight in the UFC. Mirsad Bektik versus uh, Dan Inge. That'll be a high-impact fight. But the fight that we were discussing before we started this was Derek Lewis and the heavyweight debut of Alir Latifi. And I'll go first on this one due to you uh, asking me, and I'll just go ahead and put this back out there. Uh, what is interesting to me about earlier Latifi taking or going up to heavyweight is I believe it was a need that he had uh, compared to uh, Daniel Cormier. Alir Latifi is, is cut up. So, you know, him cutting the 205 is a whole lot harder, I believe, than it would have been for Daniel. When you talk to a lot of people who are bigger in the weight cutting like I, than I am, they say when you have a whole bunch more muscles, it's actually easier to cut weight because your muscles look so big because of how hydrated you are and how much water is in your muscles. So it's easy to, easier to dump them out and bring it back in versus a person who is actually cutting body fat to make the weight, which makes sense. So... Um, so Alir keep making that weight. I think him getting older doesn't make as much sense. And I also re- think he realized there was no real title shot opportunity for me there since he lost, uh, his past two fights at that weight class. And so I think he was like, I got to make a change. I need to move up. And plus the heavyweight division is really kind of open. I'm like when Erlie Latifi was making his run in the light heavyweight division, it was kind of open as well. And by, you know, focusing on why the heavyweight division is so open, when you look at it, Daniel Cormier might as well pretty much retire. Uh, there's no reason for him to fight Stipe again. I know it would be nice, but then that's it's just more and more time that he's, you know, it's like if he's training now, he's training to just fight Stipe. He has no interest in anywhere anybody else. Stipe recently just said he has to have another surgery on one of his eyes, so he has no real timetable to return. He hasn't been out a year, but he has no timetable to actually return until his eyes are completely squared away. Uh, I don't think the UFC is actually interested in stripping him from the title or making an interim title because I think if they were, they would have did it with the upcoming Francis Ngannou-Jared Rosenstruck fight, which is um, in Columbus, Ohio here in the next uh, month or so. So um, that's what's uh, interesting. It's like I said, they didn't do that. So then you look at Curtis Blades. Um, he's needed a dance partner. He said he wants Stipe, but he's also asking Stipe to give up the title. Uh, Francis obviously just lost to Jerry Rosenstruck. Um, and then, you know, we're getting in Derek Lewis, and this is all off the top of my head, so we're not even worried about the – I'm not even going through the, the fullness of the rankings because um, Greg Hardy's not ready. Um, uh, Alexander Volkov beat Greg Hardy, which should have been expected, but you have him there. 
So that's also interesting. Ben Rothwell came back. So, but anyway, by mentioning all those names, and some people are tied up, some are not. Ir Latifi, if he comes in, and makes some noise, beats Derek Lewis, he pretty much gives himself a top five slot uh, in the, in the heavyweight. And depending on how that that erosion struck, um, Nagano fight pans out. Um, he could be looking at a fight with Curtis Blades. Um, you know, the skies are the limit. So I think that's the reason why he went ahead and made this jump. And also, he's a big, powerful wrestler. The thing that I find interesting is it's because of his stature. Like, he's like a little fire hydrant. Is He's used to fighting taller guys, but not necessarily, not necessarily bigger ones. Uh, he only fought at heavyweight twice. And then he went straight down to light heavyweight. So, um. It'll be interesting to see what he's able to do. Uh, can he be another Daniel Cormier where he can close the distance, lock up these, uh, you know, get body locks, get people down, and they can't get them, uh, can't get up, you know. But it'll be interesting to see. So how do you see this fight happening between him and Derek Lewis, which Derek Lewis is also coming off of a uh, – not necessarily really long layoff, but coming off of a layoff of his own. How do you see this fight going? Well, um, I, 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 like I said earlier, I think I literally Tifi um, wins. I feel like he can take down Francis, um, Derek Lewis. I think will end really good wrestling. He's a strong wrestler and he's shorter, so it's going to be easier to like drop down and stuff and get the the double legs or like the single legs and stuff. And I feel like at light heavyweight, he had really good power and that could translate well to um, heavyweight. I don't, we don't know yet, but I think he might even hit harder than Daniel Cormier at heavyweight. So I feel like he could probably even like not uh, another way I see his fight going is that he could knock down um, Derek and then like just finish him on the ground. Um, something like that, but um, yeah, I see, I, I see, see, Lilo TV, um, beating him. I don't know how his cardio is in the at heavyweight yet, but we'll see how that goes. But um, it's interesting because too, I think um, Derek Lewis, like he was talking about with some interviews, that he's finally started to take like his weight more seriously. Like he's not cutting from like three hundred pounds anymore. He's like weighing in like lighter and lighter each fight and I think that's important because he's slowly getting rid of that excess body fat which could aid him to not gas out as much so he's not heavy but um, we'll see we will see made him best man win and by the way uh, it, I do think it's interesting to see that Francis in Rosenstrike right because I want to see like how like Rosenstrike goes up against somebody that's bigger, arguably hits harder, probably even faster. And and like, because like if he's been like the bully, I want to see him fight like the the bigger guy. And uh, Francis and how each other take each other's shots because they both have a good chance. Yeah, it will. Um... 
that fight, which is like I said, it will definitely I will definitely be covering that fight uh, with you or other MMA enthusiasts. It all depends on availability and what's going on at that time frame. But I believe, like you said, with this fight, it'll be interesting because so looking at it from the aspect of Derek Lewis, when Derek Lewis has competed against people, the people who do the the worst against him are the ones who attempt to take him down. And it probably is due to Derek Lewis's not necessarily size, because it's not like when you he cut down and once again, he's a when heavyweights cut major to heavy to, to make the heavyweight limit, most of them are cutting excess body fat. They're not cutting water. So you know, it's not like Derek just blows up tremendously after he weighs in. Um, but because of how his hips are set up or maybe his size or, how you know, whatever it is, it's hard for a lot of people to get in on his hips to take him down. You know, everybody's not Daniel Cormier where he was able to go through a single leg series and get the takedown. Uh, but as you see, like I said, if you go through his history, when he fought other guys who attempted to take him down, it didn't end well for him, like Marcin Tora, Shamil, I can't even say his last name. Uh, Roy Nelson didn't really well he did take him down a bunch more kept trying to clinch him uh, and Gabriel Gonzaga uh, they tried they failed miserably so it's better for you to actually try to stand and trade with him uh, He, uh, the I think the issue with his gas tank is not necessarily he has a, a real bad one it's every shot he throws he throws to put you out if he focused more on conserving his strikes for the later rounds, that's not what his heavyweights do. But if he focused more on serving his strikes for the later rounds, because you're still a big heavyweight, got power in your hands and land at like heavyweights landing at six and 70 have a lot more impact than a lightweight landing at 60, 70. They probably need to hit at 80 or 90 to gain respect from the person that they're fighting. But heavyweights, we got power. You can land those, and people are going to have to realize you're not – they know you're not hitting as hard as you can, and you might need to step back if something uh, rocks your chin a little bit. Um, So that will be interesting to see how the fight goes. If Aaliyah spends a lot of time trying to take Derek down, especially because it's his first fight in heavyweight in years, um, it'll it'll – it may not go well for him. Uh, I, I really don't think if he if he botches a takedown and Derek gets on top of him, I don't really trust his ability to get up as well. But then Derek doesn't have the cleanest, crispest striking either, where I think Alir has to worry about that as well. So Derek is a good uh, test for him at heavyweight. Uh, depending on who is available, because I don't think that Aaliyah should have gotten somebody outside of the top 10 uh, in the heavyweight rankings. One, because more people would probably be like, who, like, what value does this hold? And uh, two, I think, you know, Derek Lewis definitely puts butts in seats. So uh, I think, like you said, I think Aaliyah may get this done. It may be uh, a a split decision, but 
I say that with a lot of reservations because it depends on how the first round goes. If he comes in there and he tries to just take Derek down, I don't think it's going to go well for him. I think he's going to gas himself out and then uh, get put get put to sleep. Uh, so to wrap this whole thing up, is there? I was looking through the fight card. It's not a not a great fight card. This event coming up uh, here. The only thing that of interest I see left is Lauren Murphy fighting Andre Ali, and that might be a whoever wins that fight may be next in line for the winner on a Valentina Chukagian fight, unless Kuchegian wins, and then Valentina obviously deserves her immediate rematch if she so chooses, um, depending on how uh, Chukagian won. Was there any other fight in regards of the prelims that air on ESPN? So you guys don't have to have ESPN Plus to watch it. It'll be airing on ESPN for everybody to check out. Or in the early prelims that you were interested in as well? Mm, my interest, I like all the fights, but my interest really starts with that Andrea Lee card because a card I'm fighting it up because I really like Andrew. I think she'll win against Lauren Murphy. Uh, I think she has a great stand-up. And it'll be interesting to see that kind of style against uh, Valentina even though I still think Valentina would beat her. Um, but something I, I want to mention to you is I see a future world champion in that surreal gone heavyweight that was supposed to be fighting like Rico Van Hooven in glory kickboxing, but decided to come here. So, uh, yeah. like, I, I see him being, I see him being like beating a lot of people. He's a great kickboxer, but he has submissions too. So it's like okay, that shows well. That shows early in his career that he's well rounded, and I'd like to see him and Rosenstrike fight because it'll you know, just be like, would he submit Rosenstrike on the ground, or would he like, or would they just be like canceling each other out with their stand up? You know, I see, and he's a big, he's a big, healthy guy too. A lot. Some heavyweights seem like they're just blowing up light heavyweights. But um, big, strong guy, sparring partner with Francis. And I'm like, I like that surreal gun. I just wanted to mention it because I haven't mentioned it before. And I was like, I don't want to forget again. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's no problem. I'll, so the thing that that I think is uh, interesting with him is Bellator was attempting to sign him and the UFC went ahead and snatched him from up under him. So that's 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 what's interesting to me. But I we'll see. We'll just see. Um because like I said, the heavyweight division is so open. That's kind of why I don't like Saying there's a future champion at heavyweight is not saying that's a bad thing, but it's not telling you a lot as well because the age of a lot of these heavyweights are up there, so they'll be washing out soon. However, with the heavyweight division, you'll get a lot of older guys rolling right back into the picture. So he may be a world champion, but I will tell you, I will do this. I will say 
there have been a few fighters that I've seen and I was like, this person will be a world champion. And there's only been two so far. First was Kamara Usman when I saw him fight on when it was the Black Zillions versus American Top Team um, on the Ultimate Fighter that is a now defunct show. When I mm-hmm. saw Kamara Usman on there, I was like, he's going to be a world champion. I just knew it based off of not just because there's a lot of people who have his fight style, but there's a chip, something on his shoulder that he felt, you know, denied his whole life. I was like, he's going to be a world champion. And when Francis Ngannou first came into the UFC, I was like, he'll be a world champion. The difference in the two on why I picked uh, Kamaru, Kamaru, I saw the power with the hands and I saw the wrestling. I was like, you can wrestle box and be a world champion and there's nothing that a lot of people are going to be able to do about it. Especially when you're so much bigger than bias. Francis with just his physique and his build, I was like, he's because he's fighting a heavyweight, which is I, like I tell people before, well, I know a lot of people don't like watching heavyweight wrestling. We're talking about amateur style wrestling or fights because most of them are one dimensional. But it's like if your one dimension is so much better than everybody else's, you could be a world champion. Francis has Francis's Francis has that power to make him a world champion. Not necessarily saying he'll be the best world champion ever. He'll be a prolonged world champion, but he'll be one. So, um, you know, in my opinion. So, like I said, it'll be interesting to see with this guy, mainly because, like I said, it doesn't matter how good of a kickboxer you are at heavyweight. In the, for the most part, it doesn't matter how good of a wrestler you are for the most part. If you aren't, and I think heavyweight is the only, only division like that, if you aren't so much better at somebody in one discipline or have one attribute that is so much greater than everybody else's, um, I think that it it changes the game for you. So, like I said, that guy could be a great kickboxer, have power in the hands and the feet, and can sub somebody. Doesn't matter. Francis got subs, but not only that is, he has ridiculously freakish power that has shown time and time again he's made fighters that that I believe are better than him look trash because he landed and it put him to sleep. If If you want to be technical, if you're building a fighter, like I said, Alistair Overeem probably has the best overall skill set in the heavyweight division, bar none, in regards to submissions. Because like Steve Miocic, what a lot of people don't know, that he does not have a sub win at all. All his wins have been decisions or knockouts. So he doesn't have a sub win at all. So uh, Alistair has sub wins. He's knocked people out. I mean, he's TKO people with leg kicks. He's knocked people out with body shots. He's knocked people out with head, head shots. He's been able just to grind people down with just grappling, and he's been able to just outstrike people. But he doesn't have the chin, right? So, you know, his skill set is probably the best of what he has to offer. But when you fight people who end up having ridiculous power in one hand at heavyweight, it changes everything. So we shall see with this guy. Yeah. But with the heavyweight division, it is what it is. So. Yeah, and one more so, thing. Yeah, go ahead. Well, that's why, like, if you think, if you look at like Alistair Overeem, Alistair Overeem's position in his division, 
out of all the other people that are like in the same position as him in other weight divisions, I still think Alistair has the best chance to become champion because um, he's like technically in that like he dropped like he dropped Sipe, you know, uh, he beat uh, he had an almost perfect fight outside of four seconds with of Rosenstrike, so I feel like he could still probably make it at least there at once uh, out of like other people that are in the same position as him in other like, divisions. Yeah. So, alright, guys. Wrapping this all up here. You know, UFC 247 airs on ESPN Plus. You can catch the prelims on regular ESPN if you have cable. Uh, remember, like, subscribe, comment to the channel. Um, I don't think I did this before last time you were on here, Joseph. If people wanted to get in contact with you, talk to you about MMA, ask you questions about your um, expiring uh, MMA career like we covered the last time you was on the pod, how do they get a hold of you? What are your social media uh, channels? Oh, okay, well, the first one, I'll give out my number. It's six. No, no, no. You don't want to. No, don't give out your number. You don't need to give out people your number. Okay. Well, um, my Instagram is um. What is my Instagram? Hmm, I feel like I have brain damage. I have. I've been having a lot of car accidents lately. Just get me on my Snapchat, Kids See Ghost Six. Kids See Ghost Six. Uh, Snapchat. And uh, yeah, that's uh, that's the best way to get me. I'm on there most of the time. All right, cool. And so, remember, guys, you can catch me on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at thirty seven mode. The word thirty, the number seven mode. Also, if you play video games, you can catch me on PlayStation and Xbox under the same name. So, once again. Like, comment, subscribe to the channel, comment, share it around for anybody who's interested in MMA. I cover other topics as well. You can go ahead and check out the Brave Way podcast. And obviously, however you're listening to this, it's wherever you decide to get your pods. So once again, we're glad was able to connect with Joseph to bring him on the podcast here. This is how you become legendary and greatness is earned.